in the house today, and you got to be excited to come to church on a snow day. The first one, anyway. Still just a dusting, but I'm glad you guys are all here today. Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be launching in Matthew 6 in just a moment. But as you're turning there, I just want to pray. Father, thank you for your presence. Lord, just thank you for the reality that you do bring victory. You, you're in the struggle, you're in the chaos, you're in the mess. And you're good in all of it. And I just pray just for your presence to move over this, this message today. Lord, I know it's one message, but it speaks to us all differently. And that's the work of your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we give you permission to do that. Convict us where we need conviction. Um, encouragement where we need encouragement today. Affirmation where we need that. Just hope. I pray for hope today. And we just welcome you in the room and ask for your presence to come and to speak in a, in a significant way to us. In, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you've not been around for a while or it's your first time here, we've been in a, a series for about five months now where we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' greatest teachings. He likely probably taught these over many days, so we don't actually get the like the full unfolding of it they're understatements really it's just like the gospel is recorded just the kind of the bullet points just the teaching points and I believe God is trusting uh, that the Holy Spirit like would unpack this in our lives throughout the centuries the ages as we read the Sermon on the Mount it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to live these out because Jesus actually brings some very challenging things of what he says and today is one of them I mean he's challenged us on marriage he has challenged us on purity. He has challenged us on our anger. I mean, if you go through the Sermon on the Mount, he just keeps elevating it. Today, um, he challenges us in our finances and our wealth and our treasures. You know, our, our heart and our money are tied together according to Jesus. And what we read today, we're going to learn that Jesus uses money as a gauge to see what's happening in our heart. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. It'll come up on the screen if you don't have it. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, before we read the rest of the text, I want to just highlight what a treasure is. and It's really what you, what you place your value in. It's what you esteem. It's, it's, it's what motivates you. It's what motivates your heart. That's your treasure. And in a moment, we're going to see that Jesus is, is talking about our wealth. He's talking about our resources. And it feels like he takes a right turn, and he doesn't. But what he's, what he's saying is actually how we view our wealth, how we view our resources, is going to determine how we see life. So, so it goes on to say, he's not changing the subject. He's just really saying the eye, right? Because the eye is what, like... You see this thing, I treasure that, or, you know, that, that thing's going to bring me pleasure. So he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. 
if your eyes are healthy and your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy or how you see life through your wealth, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the, the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So then he just gets right down to the point and he says, no one can serve two masters. You either hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What we esteem as treasures in our life reveals the conditions of our heart. Our heart and our money are tied together. Now, the things that you don't like talking about in church, and this has happened over these last five months, you don't like talking about sex, money, or politics. So we've already hit sex and politics over these last few months. But, and today it's money. And Jesus just comes right out and says, look, you can't, you can't serve both of these. You either hate one or love the other. But Jesus is using money as a gauge to our heart to help us have a heart check. So this word money in the Greek, it's where they, some of your translations say mammon. Mammon was a, a god of the Chaldeans and simply a god of riches or pleasure. And so, he, so when Jesus is saying money, it makes sense. That's, I really feel like that's how we would look at this today because we're a very consumeristic society. We want more, you know, the, the, what money promises but can't really deliver us is if I had more money, people would listen to me. If I had more wealth in my life, I'd have significance. You know, I'd be happier probably. If I had more money, um, you know, I'd have security. And this is, these are all the things that God does give us. These are things that money promises but doesn't deliver on. But money and possessions are direct competitors between God and the kingdom of God. And they actually demand the same thing. That's why I said you can't, you can't do both. Money will grip your heart. You look at possessions, you look at that thing you want, it grips you. You become obsessed with it, and it grips your heart. You know you're going to buy that new car because you keep going to the website. You went to the dealership. You got the pamphlet. Then you drove it. You're like, I'm just checking it out. No, it's gripped you. And it grips your heart. Well, God will grip your heart. It demands every the same thing that, that God does. Both will grip your heart. Both demand to be served served but money falsely promises what only God can truly give us which is security which is true happiness identity it all comes from the Lord so three descriptions of what treasures on earth is because he's telling us there's treasures on earth and treasures in heaven and he's giving us money will be a gauge and how you are in your heart so three three things is what it is really simply possessions power and pleasure possessions power and pleasure um let me just say this while we talk about these three things god is not opposed that you have influence god doesn't care uh that he wants to bless your life it's, it's okay you get the raise these are not bad things it, it's just we can't set our heart on them. Psalm 62 says, though your wealth increases, don't set your heart on what's gripping your heart. Is it these things? Are you obsessed over power, obsessed over influence, obsessed over uh, your position in life, and it's gripping you? Or 
is your heart set on God? Possessions like cars, property, wealth, clothes, furniture, houses, tools, shoes, equipment, toys, vacations, you name it. It's just simply stuff. That's what we know what possess, the things we acquire. Power would be control, control of wealth, wanting more influence, manipulating other people, uh, living for the approval of others. Pleasure would be sexual gratification outside of marriage, uh, ungodly entertainment, excessive lifestyle, things like that. Which one grips your heart? God wants you to be blessed, but Jesus is calling us to have a spiritual detachment from these things. You can have these things, but they can't grip your heart. They can't be the thing that motivates you. First John tells us this. First John 2 verse 15 says, Do not love this world nor the things of it. For when you love the world, you do not have love for the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride of our achievements and possessions. There it is, all those, uh, those things we just talked about. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Jesus said it this way, do not store up treasures on earth because they let you down. The, the, the new thing, you enjoy it for a minute, but it lets you down. And maybe your security is in how much money you've saved up, either in your 401k or how much you're accumulating in your savings account. Or your, and, but what happens is you will keep moving the mark. This is how you know. It's like, well, when I get here, I'll be good. I'm following the Dave Ramsey plan to get the thousand bucks at your mark. But then you get to that, it's like, no. I'm going to get that three months. And you get to that. It's never enough. I think we should be smart. We should have a plan, but we shouldn't put our hope in it because it ultimately lets you down. Because when you get to the mark, you're not satisfied. It's the wrong craving. So he's, he goes on to say, uh, the achievements of possession, these are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Jesus is calling us to have a, a spiritual detachment from earthly pleasure. So how, how do we do this? How do we store up treasures in heaven? Number one, real quick, three things today. How do we do this? Number one, learn to be content with what you have. I think anything I say today is not going to surprise you, probably. These are all very basic things. But Jesus gets right down to it. says, you can't serve both God and mammon. You can't be gripped by these things. We have to come to the place where we learn to be content with what we have. You can enjoy it. If increase comes to your life, celebrate that. It's not a bad thing. I, it's not a bad thing to, to accumulate things, but if the Lord tells you to release it, you should release it and learn to be content with what you have because it's vital that we reject the culture's obsession of getting more. And how you know, we're just obsessed. We're a very consumeristic culture. We want to accumulate more things. And how you know that you're gripped by manna or the spirit of mammon is when you see that post on social media and you now want what they have. And instead of celebrating with them, you actually feel devalued that you don't have it because you're discontent. And contentment is, is really a starting point to get our hearts untangled from stuff. First Timothy, Paul's talking to wealthy people, and he says this in six, 
1 Timothy 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we will take nothing out of it. For if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Money grips our heart, but God can too. The way you can learn to be content is first just start saying you're grateful for what you have. And two, when you're ready to make a major purchase, just check the motive in your heart. Because that's what Jesus is telling us. Like, this will be a gauge for you. And, you know, I've, I've asked this question. I didn't say this first service. It wasn't not even, just, just come to me right now, so I'm not going to say it. I think one of the ways we can gauge if, if we're gripped by God or gripped by stuff, if the Lord asked you to give up everything, would you do it? He's asked me to do that twice in my life. I, was, I started out as a machinist. I was willing to commit my life to that. I thought I was going to spend 30 years in a factory. And, uh, you know, 30 and out, that's what they said, 30 years and out. And the Lord calls me to ministry, but it's going to be a $10,000 pay cut. And I wasn't making a lot of money in the first place. So I say yes. I wrestled with it. I prayed, but the Lord asked me to do it. We stepped into that. And we served that church for the next, thir- we were there 17 years total, but seven- 13 years as an associate pastor. And I loved Radiant Church Kalamazoo. We helped plant that church from day one, grew it from 50 people to, it was about 1,700 when we moved here to Jackson. Today it's running three or 4,000 people. But I loved it. Like, the, I'm, I'm raising my kids here. The kids' ministry is good. People's lives are changing. I'm part of their lives changing. I couldn't see me ever leaving. I'm going to invest. This, wherever God calls you in the moment, you should feel like I'm in this forever. Until he lifts the grace, and then you start sensing the uneasiness. Well, he's going to call you to, to something else. But when he calls me to Jackson, I had to wrestle with leaving all of that. Now, there was significance there. I was starting to speak at conferences as a worship leader. I was writing songs with worship leaders you heard on the radio. Like, we're still friends, but like, I thought that was going to be my life. And he says, I want you to lay it all down. Lay the gifting of music down. Um, I've never, I would never was a communicator, so I would have to learn something. And I would have to walk away from even income, because that's how the Lord was providing for us. But to move to Jackson meant to lay it all down. And we did. And it wasn't a $10,000 pay cut that time. It was significantly more. We came here and with nothing. You've heard me share this story. We just, but we said, yes, this is how you know what, what's gripping you. If, if God says, let it all go, would you? And I, can, I, I feel it in the room right now. Like, I don't know if I could do that. Well, I think you could if you asked the Lord, if he really led you and you trusted that he would provide. And he eventually does. It may take a while, but contentment is great gain. And we learn to be content with the provision of the Lord, whatever it was. And it wasn't a lot, but he did it. Number two, how do we store up treasures on earth? Observe the spiritual discipline of tithing. Well, what's a tithe? A tithe represents 
10%. It's a Hebrew, tithe is a Hebrew word, means one-tenth. It demonstrates putting God first. Tithing is setting aside 10% of your income and giving it to God. And I just think this, um, tithing is really an antidote to greed. I mean, tithing is, is, I think, what I've seen a lot of people is the one leap that people make that really breaks the spirit of mammon off their life. Now, uh, Jen and I, most of our married life have, have been tithers. But it didn't start out that way. And it actually created a lot of tension in our marriage. And let me tell you why I started tithing. Because I was, when, I, when I decided to get on fire for the Lord, it's just really naive. And I was absorbing everything in God's word. I believe this is God's word to us. I believe it, it's the, his voice. I believe it's alive. It speaks to us. So when I would read it, I would just believe it. And I read Malachi 3 one day, and I didn't know what a tithe was. So I'm asking my mom, what's a tithe? And she says, well, it's 10% of your income. So when I read it, I just started applying that to my life. And my wife didn't grow up in a Christian home. And uh, so when, I was, when we got married, when I'm talking about tithing. It's like, what? No, no, no. She was told, she, she brought up thinking this. When you give to the church, that's like buying your way into heaven. I don't think God's like that. And let me just say this. Tithing is not that it's not a salvation issue it, it's not like if i don't get tied am i not saved no it's not that it's just a spiritual discipline that i believe will bring blessing to your life so let's read this so i was 18 19 i read this will a mere mortal rob god yet you rob me but you ask how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings let me just say what i when i read that i think tithing is not the goal it's the starting point because he says tithes and offerings. We commit a tenth of our income to the Lord no matter what's the first thing out of our, when we get paid, we just give to the church. We're giving because we believe in the vision of it. But we're going to honor God and worship God with our giving through our tithe. And then anything above and beyond is an offering. And let me just pause and say this. Well, and I'll get back to this text. You can leave it up because I'm going to rabbit trail for a minute. Huh. Now we'll keep reading. I'll come back. All right, loss of thought. So he says, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Now let me just pause and say, I hope you didn't hear God's cursed me, because that's not what he says. He doesn't curse you, you're under a curse. The system, the world system is cursed. I believe this, I believe this with all my heart. I've, I've never met someone who's committed, truly committed to the tithe, giving the tenth. I've never met anybody who's, Stop doing that. Because once they jump into it, it changes their lives. In fact, the first service, this woman came up to me and she said, Pastor Mike, when, you know, I, I heard this teaching. You, you taught this like last year. And she was saying, it's like, I didn't want to give when I, that challenged me because we were trying to get out of debt. And she's like, oh, great. I'm supposed to, you know, I'm supposed to get out of debt. And here, here's, you know, the pastor's asking me to, to give. And I'm like, no, I'm not. God is. Like, and you just take it to the Lord, see what he says to you. And um, I'm willing to bet he might challenge you. She said, but we, we heard the Lord and we started giving. And she said, not only did we got out of debt, we got out of debt in an accelerated pace and more came into our life. Well, that's everybody's story. And I'm not saying it's always monetary and always financial like that because it doesn't tell us, but it says there's a blessing that comes on the tithe. Now, let me tell you why I believe this. Because some say, well, that's Old Testament and, you know, we're, you know, no longer under the law. I would agree with you. Except it's a principle, not a law thing. It, Malachi was the last 
prophetic book and the, the last Old Testament book written before Christ, about 400 years before he comes. And if you read the context of it, every principle that he gives in there, I think we would still agree with today that it's a principle we should apply. When he talks about priests and um, rabbis and religious leaders who are not living up to the standard that God has called them to live up to, wouldn't you agree that today it should be a principle that religious leaders, um, leaders in the Christian community should be ethical and godly? All right, all right, so God gets that one right. He talks about honoring marriage and the marriage bed being, uh, like he talks about what marriage looks like. And I would, uh, I think most believers in the room would say, all right, yeah, that's a principle. We should honor marriage. We shouldn't commit adultery. We should stay married and, and fight for the marriage and, and get stronger. And say, so, yeah, well, God gets it right. He also talks about social justice issues. Right? We should help the underdog. So God, uh, that's three. The very last part of it, he talks about God turning the hearts to the fathers, to the sons, and the sons. Of, like, we should have healthy families. Okay, four out of four, those principles still matter today. God gets it right. And then he talks about our wealth and our finances, because God knows that our money and our heart is tied together. You can't undo that because everything about even coming today, you had to spend gas money to get here. Like every part of our life, whatever you desire in your heart, whether, you know, God says, you know, pursue that, purchase that thing, you feel that, but you had to work. You had to spend time. And so you're going to spend that money, but it's something, your heart and your, and your money is tied together. God knows this. So he's saying, honor me with your resources, with your finances. He says, your whole nation, is, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. So he says, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it all. You know, I've shared this before, but Jen and I's goal is to always give more every year. Um, and so we have not always been able to do that, but that's our goal. And the storehouse represents the church. You, you, we, we should give to the place that, that is feeding us spiritually. But when we tithe, it brings a blessing upon our life. This is the only scripture that tells us we can test God in this. And I would challenge you, test God in the tithe, see if he wouldn't bless your life. So for Jenny and I, this, these were arguments that we'd have early in our marriage. So I would just say, do you trust me? And, you know, which is, it wasn't manipulating, but it worked. And so it was like, do you trust me? She's like, yes, I trust you. I said, just trust me. I think God knows what he's talking about. Well, one day, when, this is the first year or two of our marriage. So 28, 27, eight years ago. We're, we have no money I mean, we only had 20 bucks. $20 is all we had. And when you're broke, 20 feels like 200. I mean, it's, just, it's a lot of money. And we have no money. We had a 1978 Buick Regal. And uh, its color was Bondo. It had black doors, white, and it looked like a Dalmatian dog with all the Bondo on this car. Had no muffler. We got pulled over by a cop one night coming from Myers. The muffler, you know, sound like an airplane engine. It's just like roaring. We get pulled over. Michael's an infant. And this cop feels so bad. He just tells me. He's like, you know what? I was young once. I feel bad for you. He pulled me over because of my muffler. Sounded like an airplane. And... Uh, 
he said, I'm just going to let you go. Anyway, that, that's not the point. We have this 20 bucks. We're, we're in this church, and we're new to the church, and um, we are tithing, but I want to give above and beyond my tithe. And, uh, and I just felt like the Lord saying, give, give this 20 bucks. And that's everything for us. I mean, literally it was everything we had that week to get through the week. And I just thought, yeah, I'm going to do that. So I asked Jenny, we're driving a car on the way to church. Because, you know, I don't want to bring it up at home. Let's just wait till we're almost there. Because <laughs> I was real mature at 20. <laughs> and uh, so I bring it up. And she's like, no. Like, that's all we have. And I'm like, I know, but the Lord's asked me to give this. I, I, you know, it's a test. And she's like, no, it's not. You just want to give. You just, I'm like, listen, just do you trust me? And she's like, yeah, I trust you. I said, trust me. So here's what happened. So we, we give, we put in the envelope, we pray over it. It's a Wednesday night service. And we're new to the church. And this woman, her name was Linda Jackson. She, her and her husband pastor a church in Waterville, Michigan now. But we, we show up. This woman, never met her, old lady. In her, in her 40s, you know, I was 20, old, 40s seemed old. I'm almost 50 now. But uh, some old woman, Linda, she comes up and she says, I know this is weird, but um, God told me during worship, I was watching during worship, seeing you and your wife, I know you're new to the church, but the Lord told me to give you 20 bucks. And I was like, because we trusted God. And that was the moment where my wife and I were like, if we just obey, and I'm not, don't mishear me because I'm not saying it's going to be you're going to give money and money comes because that's not the message because it's a test of the heart. But I think what the Lord wanted to show me was provision. I'll tell you one more story about the tithe. When I was a machinist at Eaton, still driving that Buick Regal, we had no money. I'm trying to remember. It was a holiday. Yes, it was Easter. It was, um, it was the week of Easter. It was a holiday was coming. I have no money. It's a Wednesday, a working third shift. Third shift at, at Eaton at the time was a day ahead of the rest of the crew. So Sunday was our Monday. And we, so when you got done at Thursday, you work Thursday night, get home Friday, and you're, you're off for the weekend. So, but we committed to tithing. And by this time, we're growing in our faith. We're serving the church. Um, we're at Radiant Kalamazoo. And, uh, but I'm a machinist working third shift, and I'm mad at God because we have no money. And I tell him. If you've not been around, God did some incredible things. We went through a nasty bankruptcy in our early, I mean, we just, our whole life was a wreck. But we committed to tithing, and God was restoring our marriage. But I'm telling the Lord, because this isn't all this, like, where he's restructuring and transforming the way we think and the way we live and how we pursue God. And, and I'm telling him, I'm mad at you because I have no money, and I've given you you know, the 10 that, that you asked for. And you said I could, you know, test you in this. And I'm, you know, I'm just wrestling with the Lord on the way to work that night. And uh, I, I get up to uh, the, the foreman. She comes up to me. Her name was Gina. She comes up to me and she says, hey. Um, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. She gives us our paychecks. And I am just blown away by it. Like, the paycheck came a day early when I had no money. That was my prayer in the car. Like, I have no gas money to get to work tomorrow. And, like, I was just yelling at the Lord all this. So she gives us, gives us our paychecks. I'm telling this guy, Charlie, he's working up on the machines with me. I was telling Charlie, like, Charlie, the Lord, he's just, like, and he's looking at me like, you idiot, tomorrow's a holiday. Of course, you always get paid a day early for the house. It's not the Lord. 
And I'm like, no, Charlie, everyone in this workplace got blessed tonight because of my prayer on the way to church. And he's like, no, you, you know, he thought I was crazy. But this was the cool part. Gina, our, my foreman, she was a believer. And so my prayer on the way to work, because I wasn't going to have gas to get to work the next day. And I'm telling God this. I tithed. I needed that. But I trusted you. You've not done it. I get my paycheck a day early. I'm just, or, you know, just ecstatic. Gina comes up and she says to me, hey, I don't know why, but the Lord told me to give you this check. And she writes me this check for $200. And I am just like, so then I go to Charlie and say, well, tell me this ain't the Lord, Charlie. And, uh, and he's like, you know, I don't know. He probably thought something wasn't up. Something wasn't right with me and Gina. But... Um, <laughs> I'm telling you, tithing is an antidote to greed. It is an antidote to not trusting God. It demonstrates that we trust him. Why we should do it is one Jesus said we ought to in Matthew 23, 23. Tithing opens a door for God's supernatural blessings and increase in our lives. Tithing builds a hedge of protection around our lives. Tithing demonstrates and increases our faith to trust in God and obey God. Tithing demonstrates God's goodness to others through you. The last thought is this, and then we're going to pray. Distribute your resources at God's direction. Not just a money thing, but every, everything. Your giftings, your time, your investment in other people. As God leads you in your good deeds. Listen, he, he owns everything. He's asking for the 10th, and it'll bless you on the 90, but he actually owns the 100%. So all this is telling us is that we're just stewards of everything he's given us. We're a steward of our marriage. We're a steward of our, our time, of our giftings, our resources, our friendships, everything we're involved in. We should do it at his direction. And, it, and if we do this, I, I believe that this will break the spirit of mammon off our life, that we become content. We give to the Lord sacrificially, financially, and we say, Lord, how do I live my life? Where, what do I invest my life into? 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich. And I'll just say this without getting into the stats of this, but that's all of us. Even if you're in the poverty level here in the States, globally, you're, you're wealthy. I've been around the world enough. Been to India watching children cook rats as their meal. Been to Vietnam. I've seen third world nations. If you live in the United States, you're rich. Even if you're homeless, you're rich here. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Listen, you get to enjoy the blessings of God. This is not a message of sell everything, unless he tells you to. But it's not that. He's saying, I'll give everything to you 
as long as you don't attach your heart to it, I want you to enjoy it. But then he might ask you to give it away. I remember if I'm like I love camping, Jen and I we we love campers and I got a weird thing about them, and uh, I like restore them. But buy like I like buying junky ones and flipping them. It's kind of like flip this house but a camper. And uh, our first one, our first camper, it was a little tiny. It was a Shasta, thirteen feet, really tiny. I don't so. Is that what it was? You remember the Shasta? It was a Shasta. And um, we were enjoying it. We didn't have a lot of money. Paid a thousand bucks for it. Bought it in Augusta, Michigan. It was a little Shasta camper. We, we enjoyed it for a couple years. And then this guy at church, he, he was looking at my camper and he's like, I, you know, I want, Laura and I, one day we want a camper. And, and uh, I thought, uh, I thought just came to me, I should give them my camper. And we didn't have money to buy another one. So it meant we were going back to Tenton. So, uh, but I'm like, I'll do that, Lord, but you got to tell Jenny. And uh, I'll never forget it because it was maybe two or three days later. We're at, we're at the Burger King at the drive-thru, and Jenny just says out of the blue, I think we should give George and Laura our camper. And I'm like, fuck oh my gosh like he did it and like and so I'm like yes I feel the same way so uh, we just wanted to bless George and Laura so we, we give them our camper let me tell you something everything the Lord gives you he wants you to enjoy it but the moment he says release it and you don't you will have a very difficult time now enjoying that thing and uh, we've given away other campers cars because you can't outgive God. I mean, the most generous people in the world just keep getting more, and they just keep. It's almost like you're a conduit, a stream that God brings blessings. So He tells Abraham, "I will bless you to be a blessing." Everything in your life, He blesses you to be a blessing. I think that's Genesis 12. God will bless you, and He wants you to enjoy those things, but He may ask you to release it. So Paul tells us, "Command those who are rich." to not be arrogant or put their hope in wealth that's uncertain, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So this is what Jesus said. Don't store up treasures on earth, but in heaven. And Paul tells us how. It's in our generosity. It's in our good deeds. And when we are living this Jesus way of generosity, it is storing something in heaven. I believe, Philippians 4, I believe, tells us this. God actually sees our giving. He sees our generosity. One day we will stand before him. And I I don't think giving is a heaven or hell thing. But I think it's a reward thing in the coming age. That how we live on this side of eternity impacts the other side. How we live on this side of heaven will impact how we spend eternity. And we're storing up treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So stuff is not life. Wealth is not life. 
It's living for other people. Because every part of our generosity is always about other people. When you give to the church or you give to that nonprofit or that thing that resonates with your heart, so you give to it, you know it's to benefit other people. And you don't see that. But in heaven, you will. One of the ways you can pray about and, and just apply this this week is just ask the Holy Spirit what this means for you. But every year we do this thing, giving hope, where we want to give back to our community and globally. Not everybody around the holidays is going to have a good holiday. So we ask for donations for toys, new ones, not used ones, that we can give to a, a kid in our community. A, a gift just communicates value. And so the Christmas trees that are out here in the boxes, you can bring those in. Um, that's through the Priceless Gift Toy Store. Um, also Center for Women. We're focusing on Center for Women this year just because of everything that's happened with the Prop 3. They serve women in our community who are going through life challenges. We have items that we can give them. We financially support them every month. But this year, um, we want to focus on, on blessing them. So bring in tangible items. Pick up one of these cards on the way out and, and be a part of it. The other thing we do is a giving hope offering. So every year, we've been a church for almost nine years now, but the last eight years, we have taken an offering and given it to organizations in the community and around the world. Every year we build wells for mostly in the nation of India, but we also build them in some nations in Africa because there are people who don't have access to clean drinking water and just every year we build wells. So we still want to do that this year. That'll take place on December 11th. But one thing that's unique this year, we've never been a beneficiary of our Giving Hope offerings. 100% always into the community. Um, but this year, part of our Giving Hope offering, we want to put it towards, we need $80,000. We've never asked for a goal. We want, we're believing God for $100,000, $10,000 to our community, $10,000 to India for global reasons, and then $80,000 to purchase another location. That, that Help us acquire another location. We're calling that water the city. And I just want to read this to you. Water the city is a new opportunity God has given us to expand our reach on the east side of Jackson through launching an extension campus for Radiant Church. This is a prayerful and timely response to a prophetic word spoken over Radiant. Remember at the prophetic presbytery, go to the other side and water the city. We spent the last eight, nine years laying a foundation and I believe God is setting us up to be a blessing to our community. A second campus will create more impact for us to reach lost and hurting people with the love and life-giving message of Jesus. So however the Holy Spirit leads, whether it's you start tithing or He's asking you to bring in items for Center for Women or toys for kids in our community or you give towards this new location, just ask the Lord how you're to be a part of that. Uh, let's, let's pray. Father, today, I just ask, Lord, that 
you notice our giving. That our time on earth, it's limited. It's a testing ground. And so, Father, I pray, motivate our hearts to invest our lives, our resources, our time to something that has internal impact, that outlives us. And we look forward to the day where we'll stand before Jesus and hopefully hear him say, well done. You fought the good fight. You finished the race. He was a blessing to, a blessing to others. So, Father, I, I pray that today. Just motivate our hearts to, to be people of generosity. Especially as we go into these holiday seasons, Father, that we would see opportunity for maybe someone at the store, at the restaurant, and just bless that waiter or waitress above and beyond what we would normally do as, as you lead us. I pray you speak to our hearts that we would not be a people gripped by things or possessions, but we would be gripped by the Holy Spirit and be led. And at His direction, we would live generous lives. In Jesus' name.